What's up, guys? Leah Pika here. Today's guest is best known for transforming Adobe Digital Analyst grasshoppers into lethal ninjas. Stay tuned to find out who's dropping some brilliance on the Present Beyond Measure Show, Episode 17. Welcome to the Present Beyond Measure Show, a podcast at the intersection of analytics, data visualization, and presentation awesomeness. You'll learn the best tips, tools, and techniques for creating analytics visualizations and presentations that inspire data-driven decisions and move you forward. If you're ready to get your insights understood and acted upon, you're in the right place. And now your host, Leah Pika. Hey guys, welcome to the 17th episode of Present Beyond Measure. We are really climbing up there. So exciting. I hope you're enjoying all the winter fun, depending on where you are. I know I love waking up on a cozy, manic Monday morning and unearthing my car from mountains of snow while trying to keep my toddler from running out into the street. Yay, New Jersey! I know, I have family in Maine, so I really can't complain. Well, I have an amazing episode for you today, but really quick, if you're going to be in San Francisco for eMetrics in early April... Be sure to catch my session on the PICA methodology for truly actionable data storytelling. I'm going to be taking people through examples that I've shown with my video makeovers of this podcast. So if you haven't seen that already, don't want to miss that. Today's guest also happens to be delivering the keynote at eMetrics. And if you haven't heard him speak already, you will understand why he is after today's episode. If you are at your desk, get some paper and a pen. This is so jam-packed with tips that are awesome. You will want to take notes. Let's do it. Hey, guys. I'm thrilled to bring you today's guest. He's a founding partner of Analytics Demystified, of whom I'm privileged to be affiliated with as a Team Demystified consultant. He's a highly respected member of the analytics community for his contributions to accelerating everyone's mastery of Adobe Analytics, formerly Omniture Site Catalyst. He has consulted with hundreds of clients across multiple verticals, enabling them to maximize their investment in Adobe Omniture technology. He's the author of the first ever book on Adobe Analytics, and it's called the Adobe Site Catalyst Handbook. And he runs a wildly popular training called Adobe Analytics Top Gun. And he makes frequent cameos at Web Analytics Wednesdays across the globe. Please help me welcome Adam Greco. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. It's really an honor. So, Adam, I first watched you speak when I had the privilege of presenting at Analytics Demystified's Accelerate Conference in 2013, and then again in Chicago this year at eMetrics. And I was already very well aware of your vast technical expertise, but I was actually really blown away at your stage presence and the level of engagement that you had with the audience. And I can see you have a pretty raving fan base to show for it. So I'm very excited to delve kind of behind the scenes of how you make this very technical, complex subject so approachable for uh, practitioners. But First, I love to hear a good origin story. Tell us a little bit about how you fell into the whole analytics shindig. Sure, sure. Uh, so I'm a Chicagoan, and many, many, many years ago, since I'm, I feel I'm pretty old these days, <laughs> I uh, I uh, ran the website for the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which is a futures financial exchange. And it was the first time I'd ever run a website, and I learned all about content management systems and how all that worked. But I couldn't for the life of me figure out why we had a website because we basically dealt with traders and none of them who I knew uh, ever told me they used the website. So as a public company, we just had to have one. But I really was frustrated and wondered, you know, why are we spending all this money? And every year we kept, you know, you always have to update the website and redesign it every year. And I was like, why are we doing this? And so I kind of did some research and um, this was back in the early 2000s, you know, heard about this field web analytics and I really knew nothing about it and just did some research and started by just saying, you know, where are people coming from? And, you know, this was even before Google Analytics was out there. And then I happened to fall into a uh, research document that I think was by Gartner Group. And they mentioned there was um, a bunch of vendors out there and Web Trends and Urchin and a new one that no one had ever really used before, but was just starting called Omniture. And I actually said, you know what, let's check this one out. It sounded kind of interesting. And I had them come to Chicago and 
and do a demo and, you know, kind of learned a little bit about it and thought it was pretty interesting. And they said the magic words. They said, if you uh, go with us, you know, the product is still being developed. You'd have a lot of input into the product, which is really exciting for me because I love products. And so um, I, I said, okay, I'll buy it. And, and their reaction was, really? Um, <laughs> they were really surprised. Like, you're only like the fifth person who's bought this. Um, so I, I got it and I started putting it on our website and I just wanted to kind of figure out what people were doing. Why did we have a website and so on? So like most people, uh, I fell into web analytics by accident. I just happened to be old enough that when I fell into it, it was uh, pretty early on in the industry. Well, I can definitely relate to that. I had no idea what I wanted to do uh, when I got out of college and I got an email from Monster saying, do you like the internet and shopping? And I was like, yeah. And, you know, it's it's so funny how that progression happens where you go from like creating conference events and buying booth supplies to that one day where they ask you to manage their search campaign and it's all over. Yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of people in this career could really relate to that. And I think something else they you could relate is that I think an analyst has a very unique position in a lot of companies where they might be the only one or just one of a handful. And you're responsible for presenting your findings to people that really have no idea what it is you do. So did you find that you had to present findings in your early career? Yeah. And, and when I was at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, it was interesting as we got our first, you know, data. Um, it was like a new field. I mean, the way that people presented data back then was the same way that the accounting department would present data because that's all that people knew. Um, digital was su such a new field and they didn't really even understand how to report on it. And so I started like anyone did, you know, using Excel with charts and graphs and, um, you know, doing all the terrible things that you do that we've learned now where, you know, just literally slide after slide of <laughs> chart, chart, chart. And so, you know, I think it's, it's an evolution. And I think the new ways that people are learning by by, you know, your great podcast and other things is that I think it's born out of people just being so sick of falling asleep in meetings. And, and so I think some of the things that I've learned in my career, which have been fun, is since I've been head of web analytics at both the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and at Salesforce.com, I've seen the internal side of how do you have to present at meetings. And I loved some of the comments that happened in one of your past podcasts. And then, um, you know, also, I've had the fortunate opportunity to speak at lots of different web analytics conferences. And those are really two different beasts. And you have to kind of know the differences and how you do that for each. So what are some of the distinctions you'd like for people to make versus this, I am presenting at an internal meeting versus this is a high stakes conference presentation? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some overlap there. But I think when you're presenting at an internal meeting, and you know, if I put my Salesforce hat on when I worked at Salesforce, you really have to think about, um, first of all, you know your audience, you know exactly what they're looking for, you know what problems the company is facing. And so that's one advantage that you have. You have a very captive audience, but you know everyone is busy, and you have to be able to make your case to of why you know this meeting is important, why they should meet with you. And so I have kind of some tips that I've told people over the years. You know, for example, the first thing that I see people do wrong when they're internally presenting data is that they don't focus on the things that the executives care about, which is usually money. A perfect example of this is when I first joined Salesforce.com, one of the things that they were reporting on, it was a big lead generation shop, is they kept saying, you know, we're going to tell all the executives, you know, how many leads we got. We got this lead, this lead, you know, this, this program got this many leads. And so I started kind of digging into all of the stuff that was going on in Salesforce. And I said, well, how many of these leads are actually turning into customers? And they're like, oh, well, we don't know. But in general, we think about, you know, 15, 20% of them. And I said, well, which ones? And they said, well, I don't know, but if we get a lot more leads, then we'll be okay. You know, we just keep getting more leads. And when I got there, I, I went to meeting after meeting and the executives were really tuned out. 
I could tell that they were like, okay, whatever, more leads, got it. But when we started doing some cooler stuff with web analytics and saying, oh, and by the way, these leads turned into customers and this is why we should spend more money here, suddenly they perked up. And suddenly they're like, wow, I want to come to this meeting. I want to learn more about this because it actually is going to have my bottom line. You know, it's going to help my bottom line. And that's where I think sometimes web analysts just present stuff and they don't even actually know what their own goal is and and how to convince people it's important. I couldn't agree more. And I, I think there's a couple things at play here where, number one, the clients aren't always the best at articulating what it is they really want. They might be kind of trained to ask for things like visits or gasp hits, <laughs> which I still have heard <laughs> too recently, because that's kind of what they think websites are for. Or, you know, it depends on the maturity of the organization, but they are not always the best at articulating that. And analysts sometimes take what they're asking for at face value, like, oh, here's another request. Oh, they want visits. All right, let's just get it done. Here you go. And then you, everyone walks away and there's really no value being added into that whole process. So I found that the really ninja analysts don't just know how to pivot numbers and, you know, make great charts, but speak the language of their stakeholders so that they can actually translate what they might be verbally asking for into what is it that's really going to help answer the deep question that you have. Yeah, exactly. And and sometimes the people who ask you for questions don't actually know what they want. They just are, <laughs> they're kind of trying to tell you, but you have to kind of put yourself in their shoes. And, and another thing that I found at internal meetings has helped me over the years is the concept of showing people the problem in the solution versus telling them. And I think a lot of web analysts are really good at, at showing data and telling stuff. But for example, when I was at salesforce.com, I could take the data that we have in a, in like an Adobe analytics and see that people are dropping off from here, here, here. But if I could actually go to a meeting and I'm, I'm shocked how many people don't do this where you actually go to a meeting with people and you pull up your website or the mobile app that you're focused on. I mean, it very rarely happens. And one of the things I did at Salesforce is I said, hold on, let's not like talk about this in theory. Here's the website. What is happening is people are going from here to here and they're not making it to here. And then you start having a discussion around why those things might happen. And, and if you use tools like Clicktail or Decibel Insight, you know, you could actually, you know, show people doing this. And when you tell people that there's a drop off between step A and step B, they're like, okay, well, there's not much we can do. But when you actually start looking at the pages, you actually get the whole conversation going, well, what if we did this? What if we did that? And now you're starting to talk about using tests and testing tools to actually try out some things versus just giving them static you know, numbers uh, on a slide. And I think showing people is just a really easy way to get them bought in and to get the kind of get the creative juices flowing. Couldn't agree more. I religiously pull up whatever website that we're talking about during analytics readouts because I will in a heartbeat step away from the static slide and go right to the website to show them exactly what I'm trying to say. And I do find, and even like tools where session recording and things like that is so powerful. And that kind of medium just taps into our attention centers and our brain better. So, you know, why not leverage all of the things at our disposal? Exactly. And the other thing that I'll say on this topic of kind of internal meetings is that you are going to have to deal with politics. And that's just inevitable when you're working at a company. Uh, when you are presenting any metrics, there might be some things you say that, I don't know, can upset people and be political. <laughs> but really, you know, your job is not on the line when you're doing yeah. that like it is when you're presenting in a meeting. So some other tips that I would, you know, kind of tell your listeners out there is keep in mind that two things, the perception of your team matters. So if people think at your company that your team does good work, has good data quality, and is making a positive impact, they will be more likely to come to the meetings, be engaged in the meetings, and actually, you know, do the things you want them to do. And also with politics, there's this controversial issue where at times you have to present bad things, things that are wrong. And um, you've mentioned this on, on past podcasts. And sometimes there's something that is so bad that I don't actually, I wouldn't recommend presenting it at the meeting without 
going and meeting with people individually ahead of time and giving them a heads up. And I do see this a couple times in, in my years that some analysts almost like go to a meeting and try to shock people and say, <laughs> you know, you're, you're not going to believe this, but this is terrible and this is terrible. And they just start basically bashing the website. And for those of you who've seen uh, Avinash uh, Kaushik present, uh, yeah. he likes to do this kind of, throw, you know, just throwing bombs out there. <laughs> and and it does sometimes have a dramatic effect, but I actually think that you can put people on the defensive and really throw them off. And so in internal meetings, I think that you should really figure out your stakeholders, get their buy-in ahead of time. And if you're going to be recommending a major change, I think you should know going into the meeting that you have the right people who are on board who are going to probably agree with you versus you know, saying, here's a huge problem. My data is telling us we have to do this and all the stuff you guys have been doing is wrong and here's what we need to do. Are we all ready to do that? And I think you're just setting yourself up for, for failure if you do that kind of stuff. And, and you got to think about that for internal meetings. That is a fantastic tip. I've never shied away from delivering what people call bad news. And I don't consider anything to be bad news. It's just an opportunity to learn and test again, uh, smarter. But you're right. There are some times when <laughs> the news is just there's really nothing good to be had out of it. And I've never thought of actually collaborating with that person and, you know, opening a dialogue before and getting their buy-in. So it's not sort of just a, a big hammer that's being dropped in front of everyone. Yeah. I mean, one mentor of mine had told me, he said, if you have a big meeting, never walk into that meeting without knowing how many votes you have in your pocket. Oh, I like that. And if there's 10 people and you think it's going to be kind of a, a majority vote, then you need to have six people on your side if you think that's you know, it's going to be a big controversial thing. And hopefully that's not happening that often. But <laughs> okay. it is, there are some big things that I've seen, you know, especially my time at Salesforce, we had this one major issue and it was, it was, there were people on both sides and you just have to, you know, figure out the right way to do it. And then the last thing I'll say before we kind of go to talking about actually like presenting at conferences, something that you've echoed in your um, past shows that I am a hundred percent behind is that even though we're talking about internal stuff. I've actually found in my career that presenting at conferences has helped me more at my internal job than it has in anything else. So let me explain that. So when I was at salesforce.com, uh, they were great about letting me present at conferences. Uh, when I was at Omniture, not so much. Um, they weren't really into that. They kind of wanted you to save all your stuff for their uh, summit conference. But as soon as I had the freedom to present at conferences, I was at eMetrics. I was at all the ones out there. And my boss and and the CMO of my company would kind of see tweets and, and articles like, oh, Adam Greco is out there presenting all the cool stuff salesforce.com is doing. And some companies are like, freaked out. Like we don't want to tell anybody what we're doing, but Salesforce was great about it. And he would literally be in a meeting and people would say, well, why should we listen to what Adam is saying? And my boss would say, Adam has a blog out there and there are hundreds, you know, maybe thousands of people who are basically learning how to do web analytics and how to use Omniture Psychalyst because of him. So do you really want to say that you know more than he does? <laughs> By the way, Adam presented at a conference and got the highest rating he could at a conference set of 400 in, in front of 400 people. And they're all looking to him for advice. Why are we not looking to him for advice? Why are you going against him? So I actually found that it really helped my standing at the company and, and then had a halo effect for my whole team and gave us a lot of cover. So for those of your listeners who are, you know, nervous about presenting at conferences or, you know, if your company is supportive of it, I wouldn't be shy about it. I'd actually be telling your your peers at your company, like, yeah, I presented the great stuff we're doing and people loved it. And we're seen as a best case scenario for web analytics. And everyone wants to work on a team that has great reviews and that, you know, is guiding other teams. Uh, again, could not agree more. It's it's kind of funny when your teams and bosses and managers see you only from their internal lens and they don't see you as the role that you play in your practical 
community. So the first time when I had the opportunity to present at Accelerate, you know, my bosses too got wind of some of the feedback that I'd gotten. And I even got feedback, um, tweets like, so great to see this working at this financial services company. It definitely cast a certain light for the way my company was doing things. But I started to get a lot more requests to present internally after I did that because they were like, wait, we have this resource who knows how to present stuff really well. Let's get her to do more of that. And I was invited to start helping people with their data presentations and different data visualizations throughout the company. So I can't even express what presenting outside my company did for my internal career. So 100% on board with that. And it just will make you a better presenter in general. Yeah. And also, I mean, for those who kind of want to look at, you know, what is, what's in it for me? I actually can tie one promotion that I got at Salesforce to all of this presenting I did outside because I think at some point the CMO even said to me, he said, you know, we don't want to lose someone who's doing great stuff. And we keep hearing, you know, we love seeing our name in the news and, and being associated with someone like you. And, you know, how do you like to move from being a director to a senior director? You know, and I think that part of that helped and part of it did help that they felt like they had an industry expert working at their company. Now, I did eventually end up leaving, but that's just because, uh, you know, I, my forte is more consulting than working at companies. But uh, but I, I think that for your listeners, I think it can only help. I don't see ways that it can hurt as long as you don't do the, you know, share data that, you know, you're not allowed to share publicly. And I think most of the times you can present the themes and stories at a conference without, you know, divulging specific details. I don't think people actually even care about the real details. Yeah, I too uh, was at a place where they said, you can present, but not a single number gets out. <laughs> so that's kind of why I went the tack of teaching people how to present better in a more general context. It was that reason was because of the limitation, but it ended up working out better in the end anyway. And people do have to be sensitive to that. Do you have any tips for presenting? Like, let's say an analyst finally gets that opportunity to go big and present at a conference like eMetrics. You know, what tips might you have for them? Yeah, so I have, I mean, so many, but I'll, I'll kind of shout out <laughs> some five. of the ones, the <laughs> top five ones. So um, a lot of these you've covered So um, in past podcasts, so I'll cover them somewhat quickly. But first thing is I find that where people resonate with me when I present is my overarching rule is when I present, my goal is to share information that helps the audience and is not there to help me, not there to, you know, pump up uh, my consulting or whatever. And that's a theme that I've had kind of in my entire career. If you think about all of the 100 or 200 blog posts I've written in my career, technically, I'm actually giving away stuff that I could charge people to do. But I think that if you give and you you help the community and you do things that help other people, it comes back to you. It's kind of a, a karma thing. And so when I see people present at conferences, a lot of the presentations I see is, you know, I'm the best web analyst. This is what I did. I'm smarter than all the people at my company and they were dumb. And, and here's how I showed them why we were better. We knew what to do. And I think the common theme in every presentation I've ever done is to teach something that I've learned that I just want to pass on in case they want to learn it. I think the most recent one was the metrics keynote at Chicago that uh, you mentioned you were at. And again, I literally got up on stage and said, I've now been in the web analytics industry for 10 years. Here's all of the things that I've learned in little quick bites, because in case some of you are newer to the industry, and even if one of the 10 or 15 tips I'm going to give you helps, then that whole session was worth it. And when the, when the session is about the audience and what, how it's going to make them better, I just find that they're more engaged and, you know, People don't want to hear about how great you are. They want to hear about how great they're going to be in the future because of listening to you. Yeah, absolutely. Audience-centered presentations are the ones that really stand out. And it's very clear when you see someone get up there who has only thought about what they've done and how great whatever it is they've done, and, and they're not even connecting with the audience. So 100%. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the other thing that we you've talked a lot in your podcast about is is stories. So obviously, um, that's kind of the the new way of presenting is to you know not show charts but to show stories. And I like to think that in some small way, um, I helped push that along in our industry 
many years ago, I, I gave a, an interesting presentation at Emetrics that to this day, I think people like Jim Stern even mentions to me that he, re- he remembers is way back when I was at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange first getting started with web analytics, we had this crazy situation where our CEO bought thousands of golf tickets to a local Western Open tournament here in Chicago. And he was doing a competition with another financial exchange, like kind of a friendly CEO bet who could sell more tickets. And he wasn't doing so well. And so all of a sudden, the CMO came to us and said, hey, I know this isn't your job, but we have to figure out a way to sell thousands of golf tickets. And we're like, "What? this is not why we went to college. What are we doing here? So I actually was playing around with our CRM system, Salesforce, and noticed that we did a lot of golf outings to traders. And we had an email address and I had an email address in my web analytics tool, all this stuff. And long story short, I put together golf handicap from the CRM system and pushed that into Omniture Psychatalyst. And while everyone else was scrambling to figure out how do we do this, how do we sell tickets, I was able to see in my web analytics tool what was the top pages being viewed by people who had really good golf handicaps. And I walked over to a developer and said, why don't we put a little banner here? And we sold out of those golf tickets in two days. Wow. And by the time I went back to the CMO to tell them that tell him that we had sold out of the tickets, he was like yelling. He's like, where have you been? We've been meeting for days trying to sell golf tickets. And I walked in, I said, oh, they're all done. They're gone. And it's like, <laughs> how? So this story is one that I put in a presentation many years ago at eMetrics. And I still have people who come up to me and they're like, you know, I never in a million years would have thought about putting golf handicap into a web analytics tool. But that story really resonates with me. And what I've learned is I should always push the limits and think about how I could bring other data into web analytics to do better analysis. And no one would really have ever remembered that story if it wasn't something that was true and really out there. And I just the way I shared it, I think it's stories help stick. They just get tattooed in people's brain. And years later, people come out to you like, I still remember the golf handicap story. That was really funny. <laughs> oh, oh, you're speaking my language right now. Um, and I think that we all talk about data storytelling as this thing that's very important, but is anyone doing it right? And who really knows what that means? But I think that example really exemplifies that. And this week I was in New York for an Ask Me Anything follow-up to a data visualization seminar I did with um, Insight Rocket a few weeks ago. And one of the questions was, how do you make the distinction between data reporting and data storytelling? And I gave an example of where this was kind of the example that kicked off my entire philosophical change about presenting. And, you know, we noticed through site search that we were getting a lot of traffic around tax terms and the exit rate was really, really high. And we saw that most of those terms had no results come up. And we were like, wait, people are expecting to find forms from us, but there's not even content about that at all. So we're kind of leaving them high and dry and these are our paying customers. So we kind of took pieces from all these different platforms, like you said, but we created a story about a person, like we gave him a name and said, you know, he, it's tax time and he waited a little too late and he's looking for his form, which he's expecting from us, but he can't find a thing. And now he's really stuck and he leaves on the survey that he's going to move all his assets and tell all his friends. And (laughs) and I want to say that that wasn't feedback that we had gotten, but unfortunately it was, but we created that story as a real person, but then showed how it was affecting the overall site population of, you know, this is really getting to be a problem. We're seeing a huge percentage of site search terms lean towards tax topics and the exit rates increasing. So, you know, that, and we pulled in very, uh, what's the word, scathing feedback from our voice of customer survey to illustrate exactly what people were expecting. And that was like a big wake-up call for folks. And they immediately approved us to create a special page that talked about, well, you can't get them here. You have to log in, but here's how you do that. And massive shift in our site search performance and exit rate. And for me, that is that is also exactly what data storytelling really means. And it's humanizing the struggle that's happening on your site. Yeah. And, and kind of tangentially related to that, the next tip that is 
I think related is really about having themes. And when I've done presentations, I don't do it all the time because it can get a little tiresome. But I find that in some cases, having a theme to your presentation does help people tie together. And usually that theme is is an analogy. So, uh, for example, one time um, I did a presentation in Edimetrics DC where um, my topic was how do you integrate CRM data and web analytics data? And I was like, how that's a boring topic. How are people going to really get excited about that? And what I did is I talked about it in terms of Reese's peanut butter cups. <laughs> and I said, you've got chocolate, which is your web analytics, and you've got peanut butter, which is your CRM. And I even found an old YouTube video where one of the guys from Happy Days, um, before he was on Happy Days, was in a commercial where, um, that famous commercial where one person's holding chocolate, one's got peanut butter, and they crash into each other on a corner. And they said, you know, you put your chocolate in my peanut butter, you put your peanut butter in my chocolate. And so I actually, the whole presentation was all about here are the data points that are coming from the chocolate, and here are the data points that are coming from the peanut butter. And the whole theme was that it, that Reese's peanut butter cups are better than, you know, having it on its own. Another one that I did was at a Chicago presentation, I had just gotten on a fitness kick myself where I had you know, as you get older, you put on a few pounds and I started exercising. And what was interesting is I noticed myself that as I got on a scale, the more I, I weighed myself, the more motivated I was to actually diet and, and do exercise. And I said to myself after a while, I'm like, this is really funny. It's actually what I do for a living. And if there's companies that don't track their website or their mobile app, then they really have no idea how it's doing and they don't know if it's doing good or bad and, you know, if they should invest more. But companies that do analytics, are more motivated to make better decisions. And I, so I had this whole analogy about how fitness for yourself is like, you know, analysis for a company. But I think those themes just kind of get people to, you know, understand what you're presenting and be able to remember it long after you're, you're done presenting. Yeah, absolutely. Analogies are very important. Um, someone I recently interviewed, June Dershowitz, talked about uh, analogies she created for a presentation of how analytics is like cake, <laughs> if I'm remembering it correctly. And it is for a subject that is so complex, it is really the best way to help not only each other understand concepts, but help our clients understand this. We sometimes I think we expect our clients to understand analytics as well as we do. And that's really not going to happen. That's not their role. That is our role. Yeah. So and then a couple other more quick ones. When it comes to the tactics of actually presenting, I use either if I use PowerPoint or Keynote, I actually use the notes area and it sounds a little arduous, but one of my tips for your listeners is I actually write down in the notes everything that I want to say. And I is kind of like, I think of it as if I were doing the perfect presentation and I had a complete photographic memory, <laughs> what would I say on this slide? Because as you've talked about in past shows, I generally, when I have a slide, I only have a picture on it. I have like one thing. And really, those slides are really only there for me to know what I'm supposed to talk about next. It's kind of like, for me, a table of contents, and I don't even need the slides. If someone could put a teleprompter in front of me that just said, here are the 10 slides that you have, I wouldn't even use a PowerPoint presentation. I wouldn't, I would just get up there and talk because the picture, that's just a, it just keeps me on track. Mm -hmm. But if you write down in the notes area, everything that you want to say, what I will do is rehearse that over and over again. And I actually will time myself saying it. So I, and I write down in the notes how many seconds it takes me. That way I can look at the whole presentation and it's, it's kind of geeky, but I take a calculator and I literally write down the seconds and I say, okay, I have 50 minutes through the presentation. When I said it out loud, it took me, you know, 45 minutes when you add this all together you know, I, there's always going to be a five minute, you know, here or there. Usually I go a little longer. So I kind of play that in. Some people talk quickly, like Krista talked about when she first started presenting and worked on that. So you kind of, you know, figure out where, what your speed is. And then by writing it down, I find I learn it. And then if you rehearse it and, and honestly say it out loud is something that I find a lot of people don't do is you can't just read it. You need to hear yourself say it out loud because that will actually tell you if it makes sense. 
and if maybe just the way you worded it made sense when you were writing it, but not as you're speaking it. And so I find that that one tip really helps me stay on point, stay on track, and get to know my material really, really well. Oh, a hundred thousand percent. Um, the first part of my brainstorming process, once I actually have the kind of skeleton, I call it, of content, is I do speak through the entire session because I do want to get all those initial thoughts down. And once you've pulled them out of your brain, you start to internalize them. And then it's easy to rehearse. And I record myself and I listen to it over and over because that helps me really start to not memorize in a superficial way, but really feel it from the inside. And, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to do that for an internal presentation, but I will say that if people are having confidence issues, especially listening to yourself and hearing things you might say awkwardly and wanting to switch pieces of content around because you realize something doesn't flow properly, speaking it and putting it in your notes is like the best kept secret, I think. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then my last thing that I wish I did better, but I would throw out there because I've enjoyed this when I've been at other people's presentations. I try to put humor in whenever I can. Um, this is not my strong suit. If it was, I probably wouldn't be a web analyst. I don't think, uh, you know, generally there are some web analysts that are really funny, <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, it's I, I don't know, someone, if they did the standard deviations on it, uh, we probably wouldn't fare very well versus no. other industries. But, um, but I've been to some presentations where people are really, really funny. And there's something to be said for how that engages people. Uh, what I like to do is be a little bit self-effacing at times. Um, like when I did the presentation I did recently, I talked about how long I've been in the web analytics industry. And in order to kind of kick things off in the right mood and let people know that I wasn't taking myself too seriously, I put a picture of me when I was in college where I had a whole head of hair and a ponytail. And then and then they obviously see me now as an old man with barely any hair. And I, I was using that as an analogy for how long I've been in the industry. And I think that one joke or that one simple thing, I think it first put just puts people at ease and it makes them give a little chuckle. And then they say, okay, we're here to have fun. We're, you know, we're going to learn stuff, but Adam is not going to like drill us with millions of facts we have to remember. And, you know, he started off by making fun of himself. And so I think if you can, whatever way you want to do that, but if people are going to spend an hour listening to you, like doesn't all have to be gold. It doesn't all have to be wisdom and it doesn't have to be boring. Like have some fun with it. And people like, you know, Eric Feinberg, um, like he's, I mean, I could listen to him talk all day long. It just, the stuff that comes out of his mouth just cracks me up. And so I think I would always go to see Eric present just because he's a fun guy to listen to. Absolutely. And he was a guest on uh, episode 007, where he dropped a lot of tips actually about analogies. It's funny that you mentioned that. And I also mentioned this on episode 10, where I watched him tap dance during a presentation because the video wouldn't work and his client was really struggling and it was a very uncomfortable moment. And that that's a rare case. And the thing is, I know firsthand how hard it is to incorporate humor. I consider myself a fun person, but it has so much to do with the audience too. I read this book, Stand and Deliver by Dale Carnegie, and he talks a lot about the benefits of humor in presenting, but how difficult it is. What he said was that people want you to be funny. So you, if you set your presentation up as something that's going to be tinged with humor, people will come prepared to want to laugh and almost fulfill that prophecy. So when I send out my conference session descriptions, I try to work in. It's not going to be like rolling in your seats, but there is a side of friendly, fun, tough love. And I found that to work really well. But there have definitely been audiences where I've really struggled like with the stone faced, <laughs> uh, come on, like <laughs> yeah, very yeah. awkward moment. And I've, I've just shake it off, you know, like I almost don't wait for that big hi-hat applause sign. I just kind of keep going because I'm showing that if they laughed, great. Take a minute to revel in that. If they didn't, just keep moving on. Don't take it personally. And uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing is, um, you mentioned earlier, I do a, a training class. And a training class is a really interesting thing because I have to present for eight hours straight. And so that's also tough. And I've learned over my time doing, I've probably done this class about 50 times. I know that by the middle of the day, people are exhausted and I'm starting to lose them. So they plus they have a little food in them. So 
I have a, uh, a story. I won't bore your listeners with it now, but I have this story that I talk about with my son and it's known as the Adam Greco chess story. And it is, it's, it's a funny story and it's a real story and it actually ties into my training class. It, it's kind of explains why I do my training class in a really kind of unique way. And anyone who's been to my Top Gun training class will come back and tell you and say, uh, if you say, what was Adam's chess story? I guarantee you that 90% of them will remember the chess story, but it also just breaks up the day and adds a little levity as we move into a really hard part of my training class. And so I think it kind of kills two birds with one stone in that in that respect. That's very interesting because I actually just taught my first few training workshops with the DAA. And it is such a different beast than a internal meeting and a conference presentation where there's a different level of engagement when it is six hours long. You know, you're working a lot harder. And, you know, I tell a little story in the beginning of how I landed in analytics similar to yours, but I realized I didn't really tell many anecdotes about myself that were relatable throughout the workshop. So maybe that's something I could work in as well. Yeah. And as I'm doing an eight-hour class, what people like and they tell me that they like about my Adobe Analytics class versus you know other classes maybe they go to just at Adobe is every time I'm talking about a topic, I'm using the same principles we've talked about earlier where I'm actually telling, here was a client of mine that had this problem and here's how we used this feature in the product to solve it, which is a much different way to learn a product than to just say, here's what an EVAR is and here's the definition of an EVAR. But when you actually get to see it in real life and say, oh, that's how you can solve a problem with a merchandising EVAR, now it clicks. And and so I actually think that my whole eight-hour training class is the summation of everything that I've learned about presenting at internal meetings, at conferences. And it's like the hardest thing in the world to do eight hours in a row of presenting. I mean, I am exhausted (laughs) when I'm done with that, just mentally drained. Yeah, I feel that. And um, you're absolutely right. A case study is always the best way to understand a concept like that. And uh, I was recently trying to understand a complicated formula in Excel And I found a post from chandu.org, which is an amazing Excel resource. And he gave a breakdown of what the function actually did, but then he took it eight steps further with an animated GIF of showing how changing the elements of the formula shifts a range in Excel and then had a downloadable workbook with instructions that walk you through an actual case. So that is 100% the way to go with that. So Adam, I call the next segment the upgrade, which is a power tip for usually Excel, PowerPoint, Tableau, or any tools, but we can go to analytics tools as well. So do you have anything fun for us? Yeah. So I think you've covered a lot of the ones that I've um, used in the past in some of your past shows. So I'm going to throw a little bit of a a curveball here. Um, One tool that I've used in the past is a website that I'm surprised a lot of people don't know about. It's called fivesecondtest.com. I think they were recently acquired and they're part of some company now called, I think, Usability Hub. Um, But what fivesecondtest.com is, is you basically put up maybe like a screenshot of some of a page of your website or your mobile app, or you can ask a question and put up like a wireframe. And the idea is that generally designers, people who are pretty good at this, or anyone who just is interested can go to fivesecondtest.com and you basically say, here's a question. Like, if you were to see this page, where would you, and you were trying to do this, where would you click first? And then it shows the page and you literally have five seconds um, to to click on something. And then what you can do is they give you a URL and then you can send that out to people like a focus group. You can send it to internal employees. You could tweet it. You could do whatever you want and drive people there. And then it will show you kind of like a heat map of where people click. Or if you ask them a question, you can give them a multiple choice question. It'll tell you, you know, here's the answer. So in some respects, it's a little bit like a survey tool. And there's lots of different ways you can use it. When I was at salesforce.com, we had the mother of all dilemmas. Uh, we started a new product called Chatter. And our CEO, Mark Benioff, who is a super successful guy, was really into this. He's like, this is going to be the coolest thing ever. It's like Facebook for the enterprise. And, and so they put a pair of 
chattering teeth uh, on the homepage of salesforce.com. And it was a, it was flash and it was really <laughs> scary. I mean, I mean, some of us on the web team and we, we literally had nightmares like, and you know, people were commenting a little bit on social media and our conversion rate for leads actually went down, you know, oh, kind of wow. in terms of our main products. And it was, you know, that was fine because they really wanted to promote this chatter thing. But as a marketing team, we had some goals for leads and, and I had the unenviable position of going to my boss and saying, hey, I know Mark really wants to do this chatter thing and I know it's really important, but we we are losing leads or, you know, we got to kind of balance this. What do you want to do? And we had a t- it was a tough sell because um, everyone, you know, it's, you know, it's politics. And so I actually um, did what I did is I took a screenshot of it. And I covered up our logo. So you didn't know that whose website this was. And I did a five second test.com. And I said, look at this for five seconds and write down what does this company do? And it was interesting because we got feedback like dental company, circus, clown training program. Like it was just, it was like really, really weird things that came back. And so what I did is I actually took the verbatims and did a presentation and said, here's the data that's showing our leads are going down. Here is, here's what people are saying when they knew people. And I showed them, I said, 40, 50% of people come to salesforce.com are new visitors. As far as we can tell, here's what they think we do. And I'm, I mean, we ended up taking the teeth, teeth off and I'm convinced a lot of it was because we actually showed them what was going on and what people were saying. Mm Mm-hmm. And one other example that I really love is we had forms out the wazoo at salesforce.com, hundreds of forms. That was our main thing, getting people to fill out a form. And we were trying to figure out how to improve our conversion rate. And we had the form on the left. And on the right, we had a picture of a person and a quote, like, you know, salesforce.com is the greatest thing ever. And we never really knew what was going on. But then I did a five-second test of a form and said, you know, where would you click here? And what was really funny is a lot of people clicked on the head, the guy's head, who's making the quote. And it was a static picture. And so it was without knowing that, it, we would have not known what to do. But we took that information and it was like 80% of the clicks were on this guy's head. So then we did a focus group and asked them the same question, you know, where would you click? And they all, a lot of them clicked on the head and we asked them, why did you click on this head? And they said, oh, well, we thought there was going to be a video that was going to tell us this guy's story about how great Salesforce.com was. Now, if you're using a regular web analytics tool and you just look at your conversion rate, you would never know that they're making that click. But using tools like Clicktail or 5secondtest.com, we were actually able to learn and then we started putting videos there and were able to improve our conversion rate. And so I think web analysts need to step outside of their comfort zone and look at some tools like that to see what's really happening on their site. Yeah, it really is the difference between opinion-centered and user-centered design when we talk about that. Um, for one of the microsites that I worked on recently, people decided to put like these down arrows that were completely static, but it showed that you were supposed to scroll. It was a parallax content site. And our analytics was showing that the majority of clicks were happening on that arrow, <laughs> thinking that was going to execute the scroll instead of it just happening naturally. So there was definitely a disconnect there about that. And we would have never, ever known that if we hadn't looked at that particular kind of analytics. So I love that tool. I'm definitely going to put it on my own site, I think. (laughs) Let's see what happens. So this is our last question. It's, It's my favorite. So think hard. Imagine this scenario. You're cruising through the classic car showcase at Charlotte Auto Fair when you suddenly trip and fall through a rip in time and you're brought back to the precise moment you're about to give your first presentation. What would today you say to then you? I would probably tell my old self to try to make a presentation and share the information and do it with zero slides. (laughs) <laughs> just nothing. Because that's one of my future dreams is to be able to get up on stage one time and actually do a presentation with no slides. I've only seen, you know, very few people do it. Mm-hmm. But I would tell myself, you know, what when they walk away from this meeting, what are the two things you want them to know? And can you just describe it to them? Explain it to them without PowerPoint, without keynote. If you need to show them anything, show them the website. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you'll be a lot more successful than the 50 or 80 slide deck that you prepared that you're going to only get through five slides of and they're going to want to put a gun to their head. And it's really making yourself your presentation, not your PowerPoint, which even though I train people on PowerPoint, I say that all the time. And uh, I agree. That's a really good one. That's a good goal. I like that. So Adam, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Uh, tell listeners anything you might have fun on the horizon. Yeah, so um, I will be presenting um, a really cool case study uh, um, at the upcoming Adobe Summit uh, for the first time in Vegas for those of your listeners who are Adobe customers. So um, come check that out. And I will also be doing a keynote at uh, San Francisco eMetrics. Um, I'm actually going to be sharing a similar presentation to what I did in Chicago, which is everything I have learned in the last you know, 10 to 15 years being in the web analytics space. So I'll both be in Vegas and San Francisco. Um, one is in March and one is in April. And I too will be in San Francisco, so I will enjoy catching up with you there. And um, you know, please tell the listeners, where can they keep up with you? Uh, how can they find you? Um, yeah, so um, I'm on the Demystified site. For those of you who um, are Adobe customers, which is what I mainly blog about, you can check out my blog, which is just the Demystified site slash Adam Greco. Uh, for those of you who are interested in my book that's a couple years older, um, I do have a book out on Amazon, so they could always check that out. And um, But that that's really it. So I spend most of my time out at conferences, and I usually get a chance to see people through both DAA events and um, nowadays through the Measure Slack group, being able to <laughs> communicate with people in the Measure Slack group. So that's another tip. Make sure everyone, all your listeners are using the Measure Slack group because it's a great way to be able to talk to people in our industry and, and so on. Great. And all of those links are going to be on the show notes page at leahpika.com slash 017. Adam, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was incredibly valuable and it's really been a pleasure having you. Uh, thanks so much for having me. And I love what you're doing with the podcast and it's just great for the industry and we're just happy to have you doing it. That was awesome. I can't believe how many amazing tips and stories Adam gave us today. So much more than I expected. He may be a technical guy, but he has definitely mastered the art of presentation. It's wonderful. And it's so great to hear how conference presenting impacted his internal career. Definitely something to think about for the aspiring analyst. So I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Present Beyond Measure show. If you've liked what you've heard, hop on over to iTunes to subscribe, leave a rating and review. Ratings and reviews are the bee's knees because they help others like you find this content. And I'll be reading out my favorite reviews on future episodes. To see a summary of the show, all of the tips he mentioned, and view all the resources mentioned in this episode, visit leahpika.com slash 017. I would love if you could leave me or Adam a comment or any suggestions because I want to hear about the challenges you face when presenting your data for impact. You can tweet me a question for the show by including my Twitter handle, which is at leahpika, including the hashtag PBM. Um, I'm going to be doing a listener Q&A episode soon, so if you want to get a question in for that, send it right now. You can also get more up close and personal with me on the Measure Slack channel. Slack is a place where marketers and analysts gather to discuss all kinds of things, analytics-related, technology, marketing, viz, and you're going to find a lot of the biggest names in the industry there, and many have been guests on my show. So you can sign up to get access at bit.ly slash capitals add measure slack. All of those are proper case. And today's presentation inspiration is from Harvey Diamond, and he says, if you don't know what you want to achieve in your presentation, your audience never will. So true. And I would add to that, always remember to put your audience's needs first so that your goal to serve them is very clear to both of you. Keep warm and toasty. Namaste. reading that perfect is that too salesy no (laughs) i'm blah blah and you're listening i had no clue all right awesome um
In a world where you're listening to the yeah. In a world where you have to present every day. Right.